Well, if you're um, new to us or you're visiting us, you might not know that we are working our way through the Nicene Creed. We are going through the historic statement of faith that the church has carried for hundreds of years, and we are asking ourselves, what does it mean to say these words? And today we have the natty little line, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Bit of a mouthful. Not something people often say to me. We believe in the church. I think in many ways, of the creed, of all the things that it says, perhaps to say that you believe in the church is some of the hardest words to say. It's hard to say you believe in the church when the church has wounded you, which often the church has. There are people here today who've been very wounded by the church, and some of us have been slighted or found it difficult, but we've been hurt nonetheless. We carry our wounds in here. Hard to say you believe in the church when you've been hurt by the church. And sometimes it's hard to say you believe in the church because the church is, frankly, disappointing. The church is a place where you can be utterly disillusioned, where you can be despairing. Sometimes the church is frustrating. It can be hard to say you believe in the church when the church has in its past and sometimes even in its present been complicit in terrible, awful things, things that are too hard to bear. And sometimes it's hard to believe in the church because it's silent when it should speak or it talks about the wrong things when it should talk about other things or it talks about the right things in the wrong ways. Sometimes the church is hard to believe in because it's boring or it's clunky or it's awkward, it's difficult. The church requires a special measure of grace and patience and courage to be a part of. And yet... And yet I find that when I say these words, mouthful though they are, we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, I feel waves of love and affection and gratitude welling up in me. I feel delight. And I don't just want to mumble it in an embarrassed way. I don't want to say, well, I like God, but I mm, sort of believe in the church. No. I want to shout it. I want to sing it with people and over people. I want to proclaim it, and I want to invite other people into the privilege of saying those words, we believe in the church. Why? In spite of all the challenge, do we want to say this, or do I want to say it? I think partly because the very reason that church is difficult and challenging is the very thing that makes it such an exceptional, beautiful place of grace for me. Because if church is full of wounding and hurt and frustration and cowardice, then I'm not surprised because I am full of those things. And what I love about church is that though I am full of those things, here is this place, this family, this community, which loves and accepts me in the midst of that. And I need to know that that is true for you so that it is really true for me too, that there is a place for us in our brokenness. If church is wounded, broken, limping, that's what I expect. I bring that. Maybe you bring that too. 
I believe in the church as a place of grace and acceptance. But I believe in the church too because that is not where the story ends. We're not just a sort of comfort support group for each other, bemoaning our many failures. No, this is a place of hope and healing and transformation. I have seen it with my own eyes. I believe it. And I believe in the church because above all, I trust the church. I trust the church not as some human institution in which I've placed my blind faith. It will let us down a million times if that is where our trust comes from. I trust the church in a profoundly other way. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, says that the translation of the Nicene Creed from the Greek to the English is slightly wrong. So we say we believe in the church. But actually, what we should be saying is, we believe the church. We believe the church. And what he really is saying is, we trust the church. Because of where it begins, not its structures, its bishops, its synods, not its clergy, not its programs, not its outworking, but the center of it, Jesus Christ. It's orientation in scripture, in bread and wine, in community. We trust the church because of where the church begins. We believe in the church as people, pilgrim people, called to share in the mission of God. Joyfully, thankfully, humbly, I proclaim we believe in the church. This text that we have today, what a beautiful text, what a timely text, what an important text. It carries with it many invitations and callings that I hope that we can glimpse as we travel through. But with them come these words, these callings to be one, to be holy, to be Catholic and apostolic. What does it mean to say these words? What does it mean to proclaim this? I want to think first about what it means to say that we are one. Before Jesus dies and he prays, he prays deeply. I pray that they will be one. It is so important to him that there is a oneness in the church. There is a unity. There is a togetherness. And Paul reiterates just these words of Jesus. Be one body, one spirit, one hope. There is one faith, one Lord. Oneness, oneness, oneness. Unity is vital. And not some sort of amoebic, one-minded, Borg-like unity that says we must all think the same thing or at least pretend to think the same thing. But a oneness that exists in our diversity and our difference. A oneness that embraces the fact that we don't think the same way. That we don't pursue things, the same things. That we don't imagine the world in the same way. Stanley Hauerwas, who's one of my favorite theologians, he says that the church is God's imagination for the world. So that when God thinks, how shall I present Jesus Christ to the world, he thinks of us. Now that might be a horrifying thought to you, he says, it is to me sometimes that I am his imagination. Really? But how beautiful. What an honor. What a privilege that you are who God imagined when he thought about showing the world Jesus Christ, you and me in all our strange, extraordinary difference. 
Some years ago, I went um, to Uganda with a trip, a college trip. I was training to be a vicar. Uganda's a beautiful country, amazing place. And uh, we were having this really wonderful time. And then we had to spend time with senior figures in the Ugandan Anglican Church because it was a vicar college training trip. And so you do things like that. And um, we spent time with them and we talked. And in the process of talking to them, it became very apparent to me very quickly that I thought almost nothing the same as them. We had almost nothing in common. In fact, not only did I disagree, but I found some of their views bordering on the abhorrent. And I'm sure they might have thought the same thing about me. That we were so, so different and diverse that there was no way that we could be brought together. And I found that very challenging during the week. I found it hard to go to meetings. I found it hard to be in discussions. I just thought, oh, goodness me, I feel as though I'm pretending to be in communion with you. I'm pretending to actually share the same faith. But actually, maybe we think so differently that actually maybe we are people of the same faith. Maybe we're not really one church. Maybe there is no unity between us because we think so differently. As part of the week in the two weeks in Uganda, we were invited to this evening communion at the cathedral in Kampala, and I was dreading it. I thought the last thing I want to do is spend more time with people I don't agree with, who don't agree with me. I feel guilty and embarrassed. I feel as though I'm fraudulent. This is just going to be an excruciatingly awful time. And it was. And, uh, <laughs> and then we got to the peace. We don't say the peace very much in this service, but it's, if it's new to you, it's a moment before communion where we are invited to share with those with whom we have any sense of difference a peace, a sign of love, a sign of our fellowship and unity. And that was excruciating and awful too. But in the midst of it, in the moment that we were about to share peace and shake hands and do the awkward thing, there was a massive power cut across the whole city, and the cathedral was plunged into utter darkness. And so I thought, oh, maybe we won't do the piece. Maybe we'll skip that bit. But we didn't. We carried on stumbling over pews and trying to find people, reaching out into the darkness and hoping you were grabbing an appropriate body part to say, <laughs> peace be with you. Peace be with you. And in the midst of that moment, one person found a candle and lit it. And by the light of that one candle, we shared the peace. And God spoke to me so profoundly in that moment to say, this is what unity looks like. It looks like stumbling in the darkness and holding out your hands of peace, saying, you and I are so different we think so many different things, I barely know what draws us together, except this one light. This one light lighting the shadows. Jesus Christ. We are called to be one church. God's imagination united, not by the fact that everything is clear and obvious to us. Not because we believe all the same things, we use the same language and we're comfortable with each other but because we're all fumbling around in the darkness, lit by the same light. May you hear the calling to oneness. Ephesians um, is 
a book that is, is very beautiful because it's both sort of quite doctrinal at its beginning, quite theological, and that's moving, but it's also quite practical. So where we're moving into chapter four, we're moving into this kind of living out of what it means to be one, not simply a sort of ascent in your mind, but actually an outworking of that. So Paul says, live the life worthy of your calling. Be patient, be humble, bear with one another in love. There is a very sort of practical outworking of this. And as I say the creed, as I say we believe in one, I believe this is the word holy. We believe in one holy church. I was telling um, the congregation at nine o'clock that yesterday, I don't know whether it was because I was trying to avoid my sermon probably. Um, but I got this sudden, like, lurching realization that a legal document that I need, I won't bore you with this, but I need a legal piece of paper that I have no idea where it is. No idea. And it's urgent. I need to find it right now. So I went into the office, and um, I sort of calmly looked in the places where I thought it might be, and then I looked in the other alternative options, semi-calmly. And then in utter panic, I emptied every folder and every drawer and every piece of paper I've ever accumulated in the last 10 years all over my office floor. And as I did that, I said to myself, why are you the kind of person who does not file? Why have you got this important legal document that you need and you've not put it somewhere memorable or clever or sensible. You've put it in some unbelievably, inexplicably hard-to-remember place. Why are you such a mess? And around me were this pile of papers. And then I remembered one of the things I have learned about holiness, which is that holiness is not tidy or neat or ordered piety. Holiness is not moral goodness. Holiness is mess redeemed. Holiness is not important mistakes avoided, but mistakes overcome and transformed. Holiness is not the filing of things, but the redemption of chaos. And when we're called to be a holy church, we are not called to be a perfect church. We are not called to be a church that ticks all the right ecclesiastical boxes. We are not called to be brilliant in worship, though it is lovely that there are so many gifts here. We're not called to preach the best sermons you've ever heard, thank goodness. We're not called to have the best structures and programs and the nicest building. Those things are not wrong in and of themselves, but that is not holiness. Holiness is a church that is willing to look at its vulnerability, its frailty and its brokenness, to name it, to own it, not to hate it, but to grieve it and to say, I need Jesus Christ in the midst of it. That's what it means to be holy. I cannot tell you in the last four years how many times I have spoken to people who say, I find peas and cheese difficult because everyone has it together. Because I come in here and everyone seems perfect. Their relationships seem perfect. Their children seem perfect. Their jobs seem perfect. Their faith seems perfect. And everyone in here is thinking, well, I'm not perfect. Of course we're not perfect. 
We're broken people. And this is a place you can come and bring your brokenness. If you are thinking that, be released. The great joy of P's and G's is there is holiness here, but it's not a holiness of perfection. It's a holiness of honesty. It's a holiness of brokenness. It's a holiness of trusting in the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. I want us to be a holy church. I want you to be a holy church, and by that I simply mean that I hope that someone can come in here with their brokenness and find only acceptance and love. They can bring their mess and find that there is redemption. They can come and know they don't need to pretend that they haven't made mistakes because holiness is mistakes transformed. We believe in one holy church. This letter is all about oneness and unity, and this passage in particular has oneness and unity as a theme, but it's not exclusively about oneness and unity because it's also about diversity. Because Paul says, I want Jesus has given you these different gifts to be apostles, to be pastors, to be evangelists, to be teachers. There needs to be diversity in the body of Christ for the body of Christ to be whole. This is what the word Catholic means. We may have other resonances, it may bring up other images, but the word Catholic, small c, means whole, wholeness, a beautiful word. And because Jesus Christ is whole, it offers us all that we need, a wholeness that can transform and heal. This is what the church is called to be, to carry this story of wholeness. The early church fathers remind us that the church is whole and a place of wholeness. The church is Catholic because it stretches from one end of the earth to the other. There is no country excluded. The church is whole because it holds a story and a gospel that speaks to our body and our mind and our spirit. And there's no part of us, no part of us that we have rejected or neglected that isn't open to the possibilities and the healing of God. The gospel is whole because there is no person No person who has sinned in some way or has a story of which they are ashamed or something in their identity or character that they wish were not so, there is no person who does not have a welcome with God. The gospel is whole and the church is whole because there is a place for your gifts here. The church becomes whole because it needs you. And I mean you Sometimes I want wholeness to be an intellectual thing. I want it to be something that I assent to and approve of. Yes, I like the idea of wholeness. I want it to happen. I, it's the sort of thing I can you know, spout a lot of hot air about. We should be a holistic place, a whole place. I like that our strategy and vision is we want to be whole life disciples sharing the whole of the gospel. I love that. But what I have encountered in my life is that wholeness cannot come from anywhere other than our joining in, than our participation in the kingdom of God. I cannot become whole while standing back. I think that's why armies of people turn up to do soul food week after week, because there's something about that participation, whether guest or volunteer, that makes you whole. 
And sometimes when people will say to me, I went to a connect group and uh, it just wasn't, wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for community. I was looking for family and it wasn't there. And I think, of course it wasn't there. It needed you. You bring the wholeness. You make the community. It cannot, community doesn't exist in and of itself. You are it. And when people say church is frustrating and disappointing, I think, of course it is. Because we need you. We need you to do and bring your calling. We need you to bring your gifts. Church cannot be whole unless we are all part of it, bringing our wholehearted brokenness into this place. If the time is right and God is calling, may you bring yourself to church. Even you, who even now are discounting yourself, know you. We need you. The church needs you to be Catholic. The church needs you so that it can be whole. We believe in one holy Catholic church. And then that last bit. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, when he encourages them to find oneness and unity in their diversity, he doesn't do that to simply create a nicer atmosphere, to ensure that everyone is happier, that there's a greater sense of well-being, and people will enjoy coming to gatherings more. He does it to say, because Jesus is wanting to build up, to equip people for works of service. When Jesus was preparing to die, he said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. The word apostolic means sent, sending. We have a sending God. We have a God who sends us out. When people have asked why I'm leaving and why I'm going to Walthamstow, difficult and hard though it is, I'm going because I believe that God has sent me. Sent me from you to them. It's a whisper of a thing. It's a hard thing. It carries in it grief and loss. But what I do believe is that God is a dynamic God who sends. And he will send you, not necessarily to Walthamstow in case you're panicking, but maybe, <laughs> although come and join us, um, but maybe to a project or to a place or to a person or to a situation. What I can guarantee you is that this is not a static life that this is not a life that can be contained by my own longing for comfort or security or for yours. This is a God who sends. He is apostolic. And we are invited then into the mission of God. I was reading a sermon at Guildford Cathedral about this very subject, and it said it's not that God, the church has a mission, but that the God of mission has a church. The God of mission has a church that's called to worship and serve and proclaim the fullness of what it means to be human in Jesus Christ. We are invited into that mission. We are to be apostolic people, not forming a cozy club that's sent out. I say that to you, but actually that's not the thing I want you to hold on to because I have witnessed this community be good at going out. Though I think you don't think you are, you actually are. 
You take your story out into your workplaces and those stories inspire and encourage me week by week. You are people who long to see the gospel proclaimed in your various places. You are people who are working hard to, to bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ. And I see that in you. So I don't want you to be weighed down with activist angst. I don't want you to think it's not enough. It's not good enough. There should be more. We can always do more. What I want to do is to call you as apostolic people to a remembrance that it all begins with Jesus Christ. That it all begins here with worship and love and prayer. And that nothing that you do or I do, no program, no project, no building, no ministry, nothing will find life and joy and love without it. Tis the very centre. Rowan Williams um, said that the call of the church is to be so focused on Jesus Christ, so caught up with him, that its unity, its holiness, its Catholicity comes almost by accident. Not by human planning, but by the overflow of love that you have for Jesus Christ. There is a strategy and a vision here that I find inspiring and exciting. I desperately want to see it come to fruition. You better keep me updated. I really want to know. But I pray too that things happen by accident, that things happen that you never expected, that things take you by surprise that you never planned and you didn't program it out and you didn't have it in the budget. Sorry. But because of the overflow of your love for Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God broke in in ways you never expected. May you be sent, people of God, by the apostolic God. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. A mouthful, but a beautiful mouthful. May you find in God and in this church a oneness that is grappling in the dark, lit by the light of the world. May you find in this church a holiness that says, yes, you are broken, so am I. We all depend on the same Jesus Christ. May you find in the church a Catholic, Catholicity, a wholeness that reminds you that we need you, yes, you. And may you find here the equipping, empowering Holy Spirit that fills your heart with overflowing love for Jesus and sends you out in his name. Peace and Jesus. God bless you. Amen.